Hello, Nathan. Hello, Trev. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> yeah, not too bad, buddy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And this week, it's episode 26. Already, Nathan. That's mental, isn't it? Is it? That's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, episode 26. And it's this week, it's my choice. And I have chosen the 2001 sci fi thriller it's not thriller as such is it sci-fi would you say it is it's a drama mystery sci-fi it's a sci-fi fantasy mystery yeah something like that i'd go with that yeah anyway it is donnie darko you all knew that because the title of the podcast is number 26 donnie darko so at this point in the podcast you have learned absolutely fuck all <laughs> you're just wasting your time <laughs> But there you go. That's oh. a, it's a good as good a start as any, and a valid yeah. point. <laughs> it's been a long time since I watched Donnie Darko, Nath. How about you? It, yes, tell me about it. Yeah, I can. I think I must have watched it several times when it first came out, and just nothing since. Yeah, it felt so old. I think the same as me. Yeah, I can still pretty much remember it, and I watched it with my um eldest son. I said, "You'll like this." He laughed in all the right places, and at the end said. That was weird, which is the reaction I wanted off him, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, good. But we'll talk a bit about Donnie Darko later, because at first I like to talk about other things, don't I? Correspondence, yeah. shit like that, you know what I mean? Okay, so last week we talked about a film that you lot haven't heard at this point when we recorded, which was with Lael and I, but the week before we talked about... The Iger Sanction, which was your choice, wasn't it, Nathan? It was. Uh, Colin McLean said, an absolute cracking movie, that. Linda Gwynn, a brilliant movie. South Coast Outdoors UK, awesome film. I love a bit of Clint. And Mahali Wheeler said, ooh, I love that movie. So that was the feedback we had on that, Nathan. Well, that's all very positive, isn't it? All very positive. We've had more suggestions via email for um, films uh, that our listeners would like us to review. So I won't e- read the emails out until we review the films, but it's good to know people are out there and emailing us. So not a lot of correspondence this week, Nath, but still some, isn't it? Yeah, well, the, you know, the thing is, is we've had correspondence, but ones that we can't read out because they're suggestions for movies that they want us to review. So... It's nice that they're talking to us. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, anyone who is listening, feel free to send us emails that aren't reference um, films that you want to suggest for us to yeah. to review. Uh, by all means, just get in contact with us. If you hate what we're doing or if you've got <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> of how we could do it better. Yeah. <laughs> maybe leave that bit out. So if you do want to contact us, Remember, our email address is wnmovietalk at gmail.com or you can find us on facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast. Either of those will do, won't they, Nath? Yep, either or. Just make sure you do get in touch with us. We love hearing from you and it always helps. Fill the beginning out, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's padding. That's what we need you for, padding. Padding, yeah. (laughs) No. No, no. Like everybody's input and suggestions and film suggestions all help to build the channel, uh, the podcast in the future. You know, and it's it's not just about us and our opinions and views and films and films that we like. It's about you guys as well. Yeah. 
certainly is. Because I asked you, didn't I, Nate, about this time every week. Yep. What have you watched? Don't I? You do. Yeah, you do regularly ask me that question. In actual fact, you ask me it once a week, roughly at this time. Yeah, it's probably about the same time most weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Weird, that. That is bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. It is bizarre. So, have you watched anything this week, Nath? No, no, I haven't, mate, honestly. Have you not? Uh, the only film that I've had time to watch. It's mainly because I was away for the weekend. Yeah. I haven't yeah. had the opportunity, but yeah. There are films that I would have liked to have watched. Two films that keep coming up that I want to get round to watching are Platoon. Platoon, yeah, go on, and? <laughs> Deliverance is one that I haven't seen that I would like to oh, watch. Oh, right. Yeah, I watched that for, as part of my films that I own but I haven't watched. You asked me, and now I'm going to ask you, have you watched anything this week? But you know what? I haven't watched anything this week. Well, I have, but not a film. I've been watching GBH. Um, yeah. An old Alan Bleasdale drama. A comedy drama. I always remember it. I watched it when it first came out. Right. In 1991, it was on TV. And I watched it. I was only 12. And it's like a political drama starring Robert Lindsay and Michael Palin. Seven parts. Funnily, I can only remember the first three parts. I can't really remember the anything after part three. I don't know. I must have just watched the first three episodes over and over or something and never really got through to the end. So I'm quite intrigued to see how it ends. Cause, but I can, I'm also quite intrigued to think, why the hell was I watching that at 12 years old? <laughs> but it's really good. Good drama. Uh, Robert Lindsay's really good in it. Um, a bit of a bastard. But he's like a new mayor. And it's all about him and corruption and people are trying to lean on him and political movements and communism. And so it's, yeah, it's quite interesting, but yeah, 12 year old viewing. I'm not so sure, <laughs> but I loved it. I remember I had it on tape and I used to record it and I bought the soundtrack, the, the score. Yeah, good. <laughs> but I have watched a film last week when I said I hadn't watched a film. I had watched a film. And when I finished the podcast and I remember that and I realised I said I hadn't watched a film and actually I had watched a film and I remembered I'd had watched a film and I remembered what it was. And it was on Netflix and it was called Fear Street 1994. And it was a bit like Scream meets uh, Stranger Things. Only, you know, our Scream was like a really good revival of the slasher pick that really like turned everything onto its head and like how stranger things was like a really good sort of mini series that turned sort of mini series on their heads and was really good. Well, fear street 1994 was absolutely shit. (laughs) It's part of a trilogy, which I have no fucking interest in watching the other two. Don't give a shit. It was crap from the minute you're watching it. It's like, like the first 10 minutes, how many 1990s songs can we f- cram into one episode? And it was like, there's nothing new in it, oh. nothing scary in it. It was just wank. One for the teenagers. It's that sort of shitty horror slasher fest crap. Oh. So, give it a go? <laughs> you do what you fucking want with it, mate. I'm done with it. <laughs> You know what I mean, eh? Yeah, yeah. Good. Do you feel better now? I do. I've got that out, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. feel much better now. Good. 
But that's all the films I've watched this week, Nath. Well, a film and a series. Well, Anything else you'd like to add about that? That's all I need to know about that, really. Should we talk about Donnie Dark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do that. So. So. Donnie Darko, 2001. I can't believe it's 2001 when that came out. It's mental, isn't it? It does seem such a long time ago now, doesn't it? Well, it's 20 years, mate. That is a long time ago. It is a long time, yeah. Sapphire Lives. Yeah, um, watching it, there's some young, fresh faces in there, Nathan, there. Yes, there are. Do do you know what I found? Because obviously when you look, when you start watching a film and you realise how young um, Jake Gyllenhaal is... Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Drew Barrymore. is Drew Barrymore, isn't it? Yeah. Michael's daughter. Yeah. Isn't it? Is that Michael's Barrymore's daughter? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah. Well, it's the only other Barrymore I can think of. They've got to <laughs> be, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, um, when you look at how young the cast is, and you think, fuck, that's a long time ago. But the fact that it's set in 1988, as well yeah like it just adds an extra level of looking older or making me feel older for looking at it yeah to it you know what i mean because that's like another 12 years before 13 years so that's 33 years ago it's set yeah yeah which is crazy i know it's a bit like that when you watch when i read it because i read stephen king's it the mum's reading it on the lawn, isn't she, at the beginning? Yes, yeah. And that was set in the 80s, but flashing back to the 60s. Yeah. And the most recent film of it is set nowadays, flashing back to the 80s. <laughs> so that makes me feel old when I go to watch it. And it's like, oh, now the flashback is like <laughs> when I was a child. Fuck me, yeah. isn't it? Do you know what but I mean, though? still, i tell you what, it hasn't lost anything over 20 years no it's as good today as it was when it when i first watched it yeah i i really enjoyed it i like that there's nothing really explained in it you know it's all there for you to work out take from it what you will but there is a director's cut which i've heard just tries to explain everything and makes it goes off in tangents and I've never seen it. I don't think it does. What, the director's cut? No, yeah, I don't think it does. It it, it explains more, but it, it's not like it lays it out like a book for you to read. No. Um, Have you watched the director's cut? No, but I've watched some reviews of the um, film where people try to understand and make sense of it, and there's no um, unanimously adopted theory or explanation for it. No. So... Well, I watched the director's commentary. Yeah. So I think there is. Right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he does go on to explain stuff, but we could talk about that later. But, I mean, it didn't detract. Having watched the film and then I watched the director's commentary, it didn't detract from the film. You sort of get it, but it just reaffirms things and you're like, right, that makes a little bit more sense or... But it doesn't need to. I mean, at the time when it came out, it just, it knocked me for six, I think. It, I was like, I've become a bit obsessed with it because of, I loved films where you was like, what the hell's going on here? And I think it was one that was accessible to more people than a lot of the films that I was watching at the time. Yeah. Perhaps like being set in a, in a high school was, made it a bit lighter than some of the things, you know? 
Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, it sort of had a real, and still does have a real strong cult following, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And Jake Gillinghall, we were saying earlier, they all look young in it. He looks young in it. Not as young as he did. He's the son in City Slickers. Do you remember City Slickers? Christ, yeah, I do remember that. But yeah, I watched I watched City Slickers about seven, eight months ago, and I was like, oh, fuck, it's Jake Gillinghall. <laughs> but yeah, he does a great job in this film carrying the movie doesn't it yeah it's perfect you know and it sort of definitely paved the way for a lot more moody teenagers and a and a cracking career i mean he hasn't stopped working since has he no no he's been in some great films he has been in some great films yeah he was in zodiac i've mentioned that before i really love that film he's good in that as well and he's a bit he's like the younger one in that film and he's works on a newspaper and they're trying to find the zodiac killer and he's just like the cartoon guy on the newspaper yeah but he's the one who becomes obsessed with it um really good in that but i hear that him and fincher didn't really get on and jake gillinghall was a bit big for his boots on the set trying to say well you know i've done films before this is how i do it and him and the director didn't see eye to eye but from the director's commentary of this i mean jake gillinghall sits in with the writer director richard kelly and they seem to get on really really well you know right yeah i think it made both of them but the saying that i don't know what richard kelly's done in recent years if i'm honest i was sort of like keen to see his films i mentioned the box that he'd done i quite enjoyed that um, but a film called Southland Tales came out, and I just didn't know what the fuck that was all about. That was really weird, and we it wasn't even funny. It just missed the mark for me, you know. But right. don't know. You ever seen that one? I, it's quite a big cast in there. I haven't, mate. Sarah Michelle Geller, Dwayne Johnson, Sam Williams Scott, Justin Timberlake. What's it called? S- Southland Tales. Southland Tales. Yeah, it's like overly long overly complex and confusing it was a complete flop it cost i mean donnie darko cost four million pounds to make and it only made five hundred thousand on its initial box office release but it became this massive cult classic that made 10 million on dvd sales yeah whereas southland tales i mean it's got 39 percent on rotten tomatoes cost 17 million he had a bigger budget yeah but it only made 374,000 back. So that's a massive flop. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Massive flop. No, not not heard anything about that. No. If I'm honest. No. I'll tell you what, though. Um, I was t- talking to someone at work today, and they said I was telling them I watched Donnie Darko and Jake Gyllenhaal, and they suggested Nightcrawler. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, that's a really good film. Yeah. That's a really I might good try film. and watch that this week if I get the chance. Yeah, that's. I thought that was really good. He's brilliant in that. He's a horrible character. He's not a very nice person in it. No, but... He's quite shrewd and quite... But, re- yeah, really great film. It's got that Riz Ahmed in it as well, who's in the, the that film about the drummer, isn't it, that's out at the moment. Right. And he's really good in it as well. Well, I'm quite keen, quite keen to watch that. That sounds the sort of thing that would be up my street a bit, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> so you like the film you've seen it before yeah you're into like um time travel and parallel universes and things like that anyway didn't you yeah you did write a thesis on it didn't you yeah yeah i wrote uh several pages um strangely didn't get off the ground uh it didn't really (laughs) sort of 
<laughs> go anywhere. I, do you know what I think the problem is? Is I didn't back the theory up with re, with actual uh, research. No, probably was the problem. Wasn't the, it? the weak point. Yeah. I mean, it, go on. <laughs> this film goes into some quite strange um, theory about time and about. Um, predestination and like he's got the cylinders that come out you know like the water spout cylinders like the abyss isn't it yes yeah that come out and lead you so you follow that and that's it leads him to the gun um the director richard kelly was watching the uh like american football nfl yeah and when he got the idea for that they show the players with like arrows coming out of their chests in the replays where they're going to go and stuff like that and he's like oh what if that's what predestination was, and you saw an arrow and you had to follow it. <laughs> so that's where he came up with that yeah. concept. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the effects in this aren't great, but they're not bad, are they? They, they do their job. They don't like, you don't laugh when they come on. You just yeah, they're everything, accept it. Everything they needed to be. And they, like yeah. you say, they do their job, but they don't uh, detract from the film in any way. But I love the, the concept, and I love. Uh, the, the scene between Jake Gyllenhaal and the um, science teacher who I recognise from things, but I just don't know his name. Who was he? Oh, he, yeah, Noah, um, Noah Weil. He used to be in ER, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, that's where I recognise him from. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the, the, the scene in the, in the school lab where they're, they're, discussing um predestination and fate and um the consequences of being able to see uh the path to your destination which would then give you the opportunity the opportunity to break yeah to to deviate go somewhere else yeah which then destroys the whole theory of fate anyway (laughs) you know which are just brilliant It, it just the film blows your mind in so many different ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's it really, really great. gets you thinking outside the box, and it twists your brain up in little knots, and sort of, um, <laughs> sort of unties it nicely at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of, kind of. I think the first time you watch, you're like, "What?" You know, yeah, right, because you, you get the idea that time has reversed, and everything that has been that you've watched has all been undone, and everything's made right, but to obviously his cost but um you're still like what was that what was that but i think it's so, the, the thing is with this film it's the the characters are so great throughout it aren't they and all the little storylines that are going on around and that you know it's it's light it's a it's a dark film but it's light isn't it and it's funny and yeah it's just a re- yeah i don't know it's, it, it holds a dear a, a spot in my heart this film and I think watching it again after, I don't know if I've watched it for like 10, 15 years, to be fair. And I was like, I wonder if this is dated. But no, like you say, it's still great. Yeah, there's there's nothing about it that makes you think, oh God, this was made a long time ago at all. No. The only thing that dates it is knowing how old the actors are now. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Seth Rogen is in there, isn't he? Yeah, oh my As God. Yeah, I only recognised him towards the end. It was his very first film. No way. Uh, that he'd ever been in. Yeah. But, you know, they had actors who are now stars and they had actors who were stars back then. Like, you know, Patrick Swayze as well in it. What a great 
performance from him as uh, sort of the uh, life coach, Jim Cunningham. <laughs> yeah. Smarmy. And- oh, God, yeah. The videos were just... The videos that they'd made of him to show in the school. The infomercials. Oh, they were just brilliant, weren't they? Fear. Love. I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this kid's fear is, is wet in his bed at 11 years old or something. What kid in their right mind would agree to be in that? And Or, or even if they're just a paid actor, you know? Yeah, he's the same kid who turns up at the school yeah. and says his bit, which suggests that it's all, all a con, it's all a rig, isn't it? Yeah, it's all staged. Like- you know, he's a plant in the... Yeah, in the audience to come out and get things moving. And I, I love the scene as well when they're at school and um, Donnie Darko's got to go up and read his card and then put a cross on the the fear love line to to determine yeah, where yeah. it should be. And he challenges the teacher. What who what actress was the teacher? Because she is it Beth Beth Grant. Oh, she is great in it. Yeah, she? you just oh my god, you hate her. Yeah, Beth Grant is Miss Farmer. She is horrible, isn't she? Just so uh, brainwashed. Yeah, she just can't see the wrong in um, Jim Cunningham, can she? She's completely... She's, uh, she is the root of like so many stereotypes that we come to sort of think of, of these uh, these brainwashed religious sort of American types, isn't she? Yeah the bible belt but she's also like exploitative of the children you know making them do that dance and she's the one pushing it and you know you get that thing with drew barrymore you can obviously see she's disgusted by it when she's watching it yeah in the playground in the opening scene i mean the the opening credits or the not the opening credits but the scene in the school when they first go to school yeah yeah set to tears for fears isn't it um head over heels i just love that musical interlude and it does everything it needs to doesn't it and you meet all these characters and you know what's going on yeah but drew barrymore's there and she's obviously like appalled by the girls doing their dancing and then later on uh you've got the 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 chinese the big chinese girl as well charita and she's doing her dance and everyone's sort of sniggering and waiting for the 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 real show you know she's expressive dancing and the others are just like oh god yeah it's just like any girl like and little girls should not be dancing like that no it's very much like that isn't it and you know it, it talks of that culture again in america where there's Real pushy parents taking yeah, their daughters to pageants and things like that, that, and it's the parents who want it, isn't it? That's exactly what it made me think of beauty pageants. <laughs> what was what was the dance group called again? The dance troupe called was it um, Sparkle Motion or Sparkle something? Sparkle Motion, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when she's you were saying about when he he challenges her. And he like just about to say something and then it cuts to the office and the parents are in there and they're like, what did you say to her? And then she said, he told me to forcibly insert that book into my anus. And then the dad like it just laughs. snickers, doesn't he? Oh, it's brilliant. Because they, 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 the parents had already had a run in with her at the uh, parent teacher meeting, didn't they? So they, they weren't overly fond of her in the first place. So it was just brilliant. No, well, you know, it's like a little community and they all know each other and they, they've got her summed up, haven't they? You know? Yeah. An old battle axe busybody. Um, Cunt. But yeah, they, I mean, his, par- <laughs> his parents are great, aren't they? They're just sort of sensible parents. They got that switched on. You know, even though Donnie calls his mum a bitch, you know he doesn't really think that, doesn't he, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah. So, but, I mean, Donny has issues, obviously. Yep. But, they, you know, the mum, there is a, fa- a good family dynamic there, isn't it? And they all sit around the table and discussing politics uh, with young uh, Maggie Gillinghall as well, who we discussed the other week in um, Stranger Than Fiction. So the second time she's turned up. Uh, yep. And this is one of her early roles, wasn't it? Yes. Gorgeous. I remember yep. feeling, oh, I'd like to see more of this girl. <laughs> Secretary. Have you ever seen Secretary? I haven't. Uh, but I am looking at I'm looking at the cover of it now. <laughs> That's a great film. It's not as crude as it looks, but it's a very strange film. Is it uh James Spader, is it in there? Right. Yeah. That's one to watch. <laughs> but yeah, her and Donnie, obviously, Jake and Maggie, real brother and sister. So it brings a real sort of authenticity to to the table when they're having the discussion and she's like does she tell him to go and suck a f-? no he tells her to go and suck a fuck or something she, she says that he should go and suck a fuck and he's like how exactly does one suck a fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just it's so real and we've all been there around a dinner table with siblings having arguments <laughs> where it's you you you're not going to be the one to give in, you know, you're not going to back down and it's just a stupid nonsense argument that means nothing. Yeah. 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 It does crease me up. And the little daughter's going, what, what, what's a fuck ass? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the dad starts laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Samantha in that, the little sister, Samantha, she's actually, there's a sequel to Donnie Darker and I remember it coming out. I've never watched it uh called s darko and it's all about her right sort of follows on from this um no one else i don't think had anything to do with it and i think it's got really pretty poor reviews but in case anyone's interested there is a sequel to donnie darko i don't know if it was released straight to dvd i should imagine it was in my head fathom why you'd want to make a sequel to something that's got such a defined end no yeah i know it's trying to cash in. Some people just try to cash in on anything, don't they? You know what I mean? Yeah. I suppose you could have said the same about Jaws. Well, yeah. I mean, that was a time when sequ- it was like one of the first sequels, Jaws, wasn't it? Not everything had a sequel. So I think they'd made that much money. They was like, we can keep drawing money from this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jaws 2 done a respectable sort of return. Then they got worse and Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> just... Yeah, put an end to it. It was like the final bullet in Jaws's head, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck's sake. But, yeah, this um, this film, mate, there's no point tiptoeing around it. We're going to have to dive into the plot at some point. Yeah, we don't need to discuss it in, a, in order, though. <laughs> no, no, no. But, I mean, um, you know, I'm interested to know. Um, I haven't seen the interview with the director, the writer-director with um right richard kelly so richard kelly yeah i what the digging that i done i found three general sort of concepts yeah one of them is the split alternate universe theory yeah where at 12 o'clock on the 2nd of october 1988 uh there's a split and then donnie darko goes into an alternate universe which can only exist for a limited amount of time uh-huh. and he's sort of navigated through it by frank and other people yeah and other characters that sort of get him to a point where he's able to 
come to the conclusion that reunites the split, if you like. That's it, yeah. And then travels back to the initial point. And then there's another one that it's like all in his head because he's schizophrenic. Yeah. And then there's another one which is like he's like this Christ figure. Right. But I guess they can all sort of coexist. Yeah, I think it's... Apart from... Gone apart from... Well, I guess um, the schizophrenia one doesn't really tie in if um, if you go with the deviation, the um, alternate universe one. No. Maybe. Well, I think the schizophrenia is sort of... It's suggested, isn't it? You know, he's at the psychiatrist's. Yeah. Everyone else would be thinking that he's schizophrenic because he's hearing voices and he's talking to a life-size rabbit. Um, a bit like James Stewart and Harvey. You ever seen that film? It's an old black and white oh, film. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know if I have. I've heard about it. Yeah. But funnily, this is not what that was based on. This, The, the idea of the rabbit was based on a rabbit from Watership Down. But the director does actually go on to say that Donnie Darko is not sick. Yeah. Um, it's not in his head. It's not a figment of his imagination. It's not a dream. It all happens. He said the name Donnie Darko, I mean, Gretchen says it in the film, uh, sounds like a, you sound like a superhero. superhero. Yeah. And he says, who's to say I'm not? And Richard Kelly says, you know, he is a superhero. He's here to save the world. He's chosen to realign, as you say, the, um, alternative universe yeah by stealing the jet engine off of his mother's plane but in order for that to happen everything has to be lined up and all these people that he meets throughout the film sort of nudging in it's all set up perfectly for him to get to that end point everything he does affects everything they do as well he like you know his mum has to go on the plane because he need he needed her on the plane, so that's why he burnt down the house of Jim Cunningham. So Jim Cunningham is arrested, and then Miss Farmer is sort of unavailable to take the children. You know, it's all things yeah. like that. Everything so, happens. Gone. Did his mum? His mum didn't have to be on the plane as such, but she just had to be away so that they could have the party. Well, yeah, it's she did have to be on the plane. You know. Um, well, this is what the director was saying. She had to be there. So that's his connection to that plane, I think. You know? Right, okay, I'm with you. Through her. Yeah. But yeah, of course, the party was happening as well. That was his suggestion. Yeah, because if the party wasn't there, Frank wouldn't have been at the party and then gone to go and get beer, which would left the note on the fridge, which then triggered him to go to uh, old grandma Death's house or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to follow, but apparently in the director's cut, right, uh, saying about him not being ill, apparently in the director's cut, there's a scene where the psychiatrist tells him he can stop taking his medication because it's all the placebos. Yeah, yeah. And I I seem to remember that. When I was watching the film, I was like, I'm sure there was a scene where he found out he was like not real placebos. So I must have seen the deleted scene at some point. Yeah. And it been in my head because it wasn't on the DVD and I've got the same DVD I had when it first came out. I haven't bought another one. So, yeah, strange. But, yeah, I did seem to remember that happening. But, yeah, it doesn't in the film. 
But I, I mean, the psychiatrist scenes are great, aren't they? Where he's talking about like she's trying to get things out of him, and he's like, imagine him fucking Christina Applegate <laughs> out of married with children, and he's putting his yeah, hand yeah. down his he's putting his hand down his trousers, about to take himself out, and then she like claps her hands, and he wakes up with his hand down her trousers. And then later on, she wakes him up and he's like cuddling her. And he's like, what? <laughs> must be yeah, what thinking, like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's like hard to believe you're in a safe place when every time you wake up, you're either trying to touch yourself or cradling into this older woman. <laughs> Not entirely sure I would have agreed to go under the second time. No. <laughs> I'd be like setting up hidden cameras somewhere. <laughs> just make sure I know what's going on in here. Make sure Jin coming Jin Cumminghan isn't just hidden behind a curtain somewhere or something. Yeah, recording it, yeah. Um it's strange watching this Patrick Swayze, obviously like, you know, no longer. Um but I watched back along on the telly, Ghost came on, and that's a film that's really uh Really different watching that now, knowing that Patrick Swayze sort of died quite early on, you know? Yeah, yeah. It brought a whole new level of um, sort of emotion to that film. It's quite good. And that is a, quite an impressive little film. Maybe we'll talk about one day. But this was a real change in pace for Patrick Swayze. Now, I think at this point you hadn't seen him in much for a while, had you? No. Um, and then to come out and play this like real smarmy, Sort of character is just fantastic. Discover later on, he's uh, a complete fucking pedo. Yeah. Whilst Miss Farmer's like covering up for him. And that's the thing. She judges Donnie's mum for her parenting. Yeah. And she says, you know, when even when she goes around to sort of like say, oh, you know, I'm trying to protect this man's name, even though the evidence is all there and it's clear that he is guilty. Yeah. And even then when she's talking to Donnie's mum and saying, you have to go and take the kids. She goes, you were literally the last per- parent that I would have ever dreamt of asking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she just can't help, but just, just horrible, isn't she? Be a condescending old wench. Yeah. We said earlier about um, her and Drew Barrymore, sort of head to head. You've got a good teacher and a bad teacher there, haven't you? You know? Yeah. And Drew Barrymore is obviously sort of offended by the exploitative nature of like that dance troupe and how the mums are pushing and she, you know, Miss Farmer's pushing it as well. Um, and obviously Miss Farmer thinks that what Drew Barrymore is teaching the kids, you know, even though it's a bit of culture, you know, she's like, Oh, this pornography in our schools. And, you know, and she sees that as something that needs to be addressed. And in the end, Drew Barrymore is the one that sort of ends up having to sort of get knocked out out of the school um but it's sort of two things about that it's drew barrymore um you know obviously she she was one of the most exploited children child actors wasn't she her story i don't know if you know it no her mum was really like pushy right and she was big in et and stuff you know and then through the 80s i mean drew barrymore i'm sure she left home at like 14 right you know it might even have been younger she was like hooked on drugs at like around the age of 10, which I think she used to just steal from her mum. And oh, Christ. She she tidied herself up. She won, you know, she came through it. So it's sort of good casting 
that she's there to play that role. And maybe that's what spoke because Drew Barrymore was the one who got this film made. She was shown the script by Richard Kelly and no one else wanted to make it. And she produced it as her production company. Right. So it must have been that aspect of it that spoke out to her. Yeah. To want to make it perhaps amongst other things. I mean, it is a great script, but also, yeah, her saying about the cellar door is she, her character is another character that pushes Darko into a certain direction, isn't she? Yeah, you know? yeah. When she says about Celador, the next time when Donnie Darko goes to see Grandma Death, he delivers the letter and he knows to go looking in her Celador, doesn't he? Yeah. You know? Everything nudges him in the right direction. All these people have a part to play, whether they know it or not. Isn't the book that they're reading when we first meet Drew Barrymore in school. Aren't there strong links between that book and the plot? Can't remember what it's called. The Destructors or something, wasn't it? Graham Greene? Graham Greene, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about that book, but there possibly is. I feel like maybe I need to read that book and then watch this again. Yeah, I think it's only a short story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 13 pages, so you should have fucking read it before this, mate. What's going on? Sorry, mate, I've got a life. (laughs) But no, yeah. Yeah, there must be you know, there must be some connection to it. I suppose they the connection is that the kids destroy. You know, they say in the film, don't they, that the kids destroy the house by bursting a water main, and that's what makes Miss Farmer go. This book needs to be banned, you know, because that's what Donnie Dark has done to flood the school, isn't it? Yeah. And I love that scene where they all the kids are going home. They're all getting sent home, and. The, the three little girls are talking. Oh my god! They said the water main was bursting the the men's toilets, and there was feces everywhere. And they go, "Oh my god, what's feces?" And they went, "Baby mice." <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! It's such a great it's line. Just isn't it? Lovely little bits of gold in there, isn't there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just looking at the Google, I got Google up, Donnie Darko, and it says, people also ask, is Donnie Darko about schizophrenia? Fair question. Does Ryan Reynolds play in Donnie Darko? What is the girl's name from Donnie Darko? But my favourite is question number four. Is Donnie Darko based on a true story? (laughs) (laughs) That's the four most popular questions. Fuck off. About Donnie Darko. Isn't it weird? What's the fucking internet? Just shows you how fucking stupid people are, doesn't it? <laughs> what, what, who oh, could Ryan Reynolds possibly have been confused with in, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> what? I guess the, the science teacher? Possibly, I don't know. But he would have been hell of a young then, wouldn't he? I don't know. Feels like Ryan Reynolds has been around for forever. Donnie Darko was, uh, I think, um, Mark Wahlberg was offered the role and he wanted to play it with a lisp. So he was like, nah, we don't don't want Donnie to have a lisp. Right. I don't think anyone could have played it any better than Jake Gillinghall, myself. Nah. I can't imagine anyone else doing it now. No. I mean, we said it earlier, he's so baby-faced in this, isn't he? But he's got that sort of mischievous quality. And when he's put under and when he's talking to Frank, he's almost talking like an infant, isn't he? You know, he's like... Yeah, yeah. But he's got that sort of crazed look, that half-lazy eye almost, isn't he? Like, 
that weird smirk. Yeah, his face is tilted forward as well, and it's very intense look. Yeah, sort of. Um, yeah, like like you say, mischievous, like he means business. Yeah. Um, but the school, you know, and Seth Rogen and the other chap, the school bullies there, and you know, threatening him with knives. And um, Richard Kelly said that nothing prepares you for the evil in the world like high school does. And I, I'd imagine it's more true over in the States. I mean, over here, you do get some horrible people. But I mean, we're sheltered in the countryside here. I'm sure in the cities, it's a lot worse as well. But yeah, I can see exactly where he's coming from. I suppose that Sharita sort of embodies that in a sense, doesn't she? The Donnie Darko's mates are even horrible to her, aren't they? Just got to snap at her at the beginning i can't remember when they're waiting for the bus she says something and she's like shut up which seems to be the only thing she could say to anyone isn't it yeah and then when she's doing her dance and they're all like do they shout get off the stage or something then they're just taunting her and you just i know there's people like that who must fucking school must be horrific for certain people mustn't it yeah it's just a horrible place. Teenagers yeah. are but horrible. The problem is, is they're discovering themselves and forming opinions without any real sort of uh, back background to the opinions. But also, they've got no idea of the consequence of their actions either. They've got no comprehension at that age of the consequence of their actions and what they're actually doing to people inside. Yeah. Bullying is a sad state of affairs, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah and all you can hope is that your kids don't sort of fall into that or from one side or but the other. In in the film, Jake Gyllenhaal seems to be very empathetic. Yeah, he's, he's above it all, isn't he? He is above it all. And that, again, is a testament to, you know, the ways, the freedom and sort of way his parents behave and how open-minded they are, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can see that that's come through in both him and his sister, um, Elizabeth Darko. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's nice because when he, when he, you know, he's referred to as a hero and he says, you know, how do I know I'm not? And obviously the director is like, he is a hero and he is sort of fighting for the little guy, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Cause I, even having seen the film before, I completely forgot the Jim Cunningham because you're like, oh God, he's burnt that guy's house down. And he's got this brilliant alibi because his girlfriend's fallen asleep in the cinema and he gets back to her before she wakes up and you think, oh, you know, at least he's got someone that can vouch for him. And then yeah. the next day you're like, oh yeah, I completely don't have to worry about it because Jim Cunningham is uh, into child pornography. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of taken the light, like, the light away from it, hasn't it, a bit? Yeah, yeah. But... I mean, they go to the cinema. It says there's a Halloween double bill and they're watching The Evil Dead, which um, Sam Raimi gave them the rights to use the film for yeah. free, yeah. which was nice of him. The other film in that uh, Halloween double bill, did you notice what it was, Nath? Something of Christ. Yeah, The Last Temptation of Christ, which is a Martin Scorsese film. So I don't know why that was part of the Halloween double bill. Um, and talking about rights for, you know, in this film, they're talking about the Smurfs yeah. when they're doing the shooting. And the scene was written where they actually shoot in models of Smurfs. Right. Uh, you know, while they're shooting the Smurfs, they're talking about Smurfette being made just to go around and get fucked by all the other Smurfs, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, but to use the Smurf in that scene, 
they had to get the rights from the creator of the Smurfs. Uh, he had to allow them to use it. So the director phoned up and spoke to him, and he said, you can only use the Smurf if one of your characters sort of sticks up for the Smurfs and tells the actual story of how the how Smurf Act was actually created. Right. And sort of corrects them all. So they rewrote the scene for that. But the final irony was that on the day they came to film that, they still hadn't managed to find the Smurf model that they wanted. <laughs> so they end up shooting cans. But it's actually, you know, again, it cements his character, doesn't it, as rising above all that nonsensical sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. laddish talking at isn't it he's a bit more sensitive and a bit more but he makes a very valid point as well like saying after all what is the point in a life without a dick yeah (laughs) it does yeah but then i know people who have no dick yeah my wife doesn't but i suppose she's got access to one that's the difference i suppose isn't it yeah 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 i suppose that's that's (laughs) what it is There's no point to life without having a dick or access to said penis. (laughs) Um, Do you see a guy keeps turning up in the the jogging suit? Yes. The fat guy smoking. Well, I found out in the um, director's commentary what that's all about. Any ideas what you think that's about? He's one of the FFA. um, That's right, yeah. One of the airplane investigators. Yeah, but why... Keeping why, tabs on... Right, he's just keeping tabs on Donny, is he? Yeah, um, because they don't really know what happened and why it's happened and they sent something's a bit amiss. And right. Apparently that's why he's there. All right, so once I finish watching the film, yeah? Yeah. And you've got that sort of... I kind of get it, but it feels a little bit unexplained in places. I was just like, I really wanted to know what was going on because it it feels like when you get to the end of the film, it feels like Donnie Darko's had a realization that sort of there's been a lot of destruction, death and destruction has gone on. And I think mainly with his girlfriend, um, Gretchen Ross, because when she dies in the alternate universe, obviously he's absolutely distraught and gutted. And he, we've, he's built up all the way through the film as being this compassionate, empathetic guy. And you're like, right, yeah. he's basically come to the conclusion that if he hadn't met her and interfered with her life, she wouldn't be here. And the only way to rectify it is to sort of go back and actually be in the room at the time that the jet engine track crashes into it. Yeah. And that's what I took. That's what you take away after watching the film. But I wanted to, at the time, I just had no idea at face value that it was an alternate universe. Yeah. If that makes sense. So that's what I was sort of digging into. That's what I really wanted to look into when I was sort of looking up or doing research for the podcast. And that's, that's, um, that's where I wanted to go with it. Yeah. I think, um, there's two realities. One sort of alternate universe breaks into his and it highlights all these wrongs in this little town, doesn't it? You know, and, yeah, it affects all these different people, but they're also part of the plan to. The universe is trying to amend everything and put it all back through Donny, and all these people are nudging things back. But he falls in love, him and Gretchen. You know, they fall in love, but in his alternate reality that we're viewing, she has to die. Whereas in in order to save her, 
he has to die. So they're sort of this doomed, tragic relationship. Yeah, yeah. But then the director also says that Frank, when you hear him driving off and he's tooting his horn after he's dropped, because it's, it's Frank is the boyfriend who drops Maggie Gyllenhaal off. Right. You know, and she comes in and she collapses against the door when the, the, the engine first drops in, doesn't it? And you see all it shaking and that. Yeah. But when he drives off, you can hear the horn tooting. Yeah. You know, he's tooting the horn down the road. And the director says that is him trying to wake Donnie up to say, get out of the room. You know, you don't have to die. No way. Allegedly. But he doesn't. Donnie's sort of, you know, he realises he's put everything right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, sacrifices himself in order to do so. Because he's got a smile on his face when he's accepting his fate, you know? He's laughing, isn't he? He's laughing manically, isn't he? At the end. But then, you know, the end, when everything's rewound and he ends up back in the bed and then it's the following morning, everyone, it's like they've all experienced that parallel universe, haven't they? Only they don't know if it's real or not and they all reflect upon what has happened through the film, you know? Yeah. And they're all made to think about their own actions, um, even though they haven't at that point occurred. And it's, it's weird, isn't it? How sort of when you go over everyone that that you see, and when you see Frank's character, you see him actually touch his right eye as well. Don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there's, it's almost like there's um, like this ripple effect from the alternate universe that is spread back through time yeah. to all of the characters that were involved. And they've got some sort of, like you say, some sort of memory of it, but not really understanding what it is. Because you see, um, you know, Miss Farmer wakes up and you can see she's sort of like, oh God, you know, she's realising that something horrid lurks beneath, I suppose, isn't she? Probably, she must have the memory of what is found in Jim Cunningham's basement. And he... Jim Cunningham wakes up and sort of crying, isn't he, about his, whether it's the realisation of what he's doing or whether the realisation that he could be found, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, but he, everyone is affected by it, aren't they? the real sort of crowning piece is the wave, isn't it? Oh, at the end. Between, yeah, between Gretchen and uh, Rose Dark, Rosie Darko, yeah. It's just like, Wow. It's like, almost as if Gretchen's like, do I know her? Do I know this family? Yeah. And then she waves and then the little boy waves. And that's the last shot of the film, isn't it? It's a great little. And I mean, that's what I love about it. It's, a, it's an ending that when you first watch it, you're like, what am I working out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love a film that you have to go away and think about so much more so than a film that you just watch and enjoy. There are films that I can just watch and enjoy. This, yeah, just great. And it's still great. And even knowing what the directors said, even though I watched that sort of after I watched the film, because I didn't want it all spelt out for me. I knew I was going to go and watch it, Yeah, the director's commentary. But I wanted to watch this again and see, like, what do I make of this? And I think this time around, I sort of had it sort of sussed, you know. It's all there for you, isn't it? But it's just how you interpret these images. Yeah, and- yeah. Because... Ultimately, whether you call it an alternate universe or whatever, Jake Gyllenhaal comes to the conclusion that the reality is living he's living in, which is one where Gretchen loses her life, isn't one that he wants. And he comes to the conclusion that somehow he needs to reset things by sacrificing himself and give everyone another chance to do better. And that's 
you know, that's sort of the walk away from it when you watch it at face value. But when you start diving into it, oh my God, this film that just keeps on giving, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, there's loads of foreshadowing throughout the film, uh, which is um, something is suggested early on that will then come, you know, into fruition. Uh, and I mean, it's it's everything in there, you know, uh, from grandma death going to the post box and it's like all her life. She's waited for Donnie's letter, which is at the end when she stood in the middle of the road with Donnie's letter in her hand, isn't she? You know? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. When Donnie tells Gretchen that he burnt a house down in the past, you know? Yeah. He stood right outside of Jim Cunningham's house, which he will go on to burn down. Yeah, yeah. And again, like the, another bit of foreshadowing is when Donnie is, isn't his card to do with like losing or finding someone's wallet and handing it in. And then he finds, again, Jim Cunningham's wallet, doesn't he? There's all little things like that that sort of suggest stuff and then um, sort of make more sense later on. Did you see the, um, before the party, did you see the carving of a pumpkin or whatever, which was Frank's rabbit costume's head on the kitchen side? That was something as well. And it makes you think, why is that there if it's an imaginary character? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, what? And then sort of obviously, you know, you realise, as you say, I didn't realise that Frank was Maggie's boyfriend. And obviously he must have given it to her or something that was like a little prelude to the costume he was going to wear to the Halloween party. It's a, it's a film that you definitely have to watch several times to get the full value out of it. And even, you know, even after three, four, maybe five watches, I still feel like I could go through it. And, and even having watched some of the reviews of the theories behind the storyline, I think I could still go through and watch it again and still enjoy it and take more out of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely good. I mean, I love this, the music in the film as well is just great. That, the Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen at the opening scenes. I don't think that was the intended song for the opening, but right. it's just a great song. And it almost, it's almost, it completely fits, doesn't it, the film? Um, and when Donnie's got the numbers on his arm, the time, it's actually, if you, each digit, if you take one or add one away, it's basically the complete, like the time of a, mo- a lunar cycle but minus or plus a digit on each number just to make it different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sort of gives The Killing Moon an even sort of greater significance in the film, doesn't it? I really like that Mad World um, rendition over yeah. the end, you know? I just, oh, it's just brilliant. It just, I forgot. Yeah, some great interludes, isn't there? Yeah, I forgot that this, it, it, was it done for this film? I don't know if it was done for this film, but it was brought to his attention. It went on to be Christmas number one, didn't it? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sort of sick of it by then. Oh. <laughs> the whole world likes it, and then I'm like, oh, do you know what? I don't like it anymore. But watching it in the film again, it's like, yeah, I remember why I liked it originally. Yeah, it, yeah. It is great. It just ma- it's made so much sense at the end of this film, though, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and like the words are like really, again, it's the choice of music throughout this film just... I think it's phenomenal, phenom, phenomenal, phenomenal, um, phenomenal, phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah, Tears for Fears and Echo and the Bunnymen, some great choices. 
uh, and a lot of the choices that he had originally they couldn't afford so there was a lot of music that you know the the song that the girls were dancing to i can't remember what that was supposed to be but whatever it was they couldn't afford it so they ended up having that no notorious <laughs> instead yeah, I think that that notorious one was probably the poorest musical choice in the whole film, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's not because it's it, it still does what it had to, doesn't it? It's a cheesy song for them to all be yeah sort of dancing to, um, and like it's because it's like the eighties as well, and it, like when they're all riding off on their bikes, it reminded me a lot of ET. Yeah, and that had Drew Barrymore in again, didn't it? But he he's, he's almost dressed as ET's brother, isn't he? Like ET's older brother has a, like a grey hoodie. And isn't he dressed as a skeleton as well in E.T.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe yeah. he is. But it completely takes you by surprise when Gretchen like gets run over. You don't see that, do you? Come no. When you first watch it. And that's a, oh, it's such a painful thing because you're rooting for Donnie all the way through the film. You know, you think that the Gretchen thing is the one thing that he's found because there's a lot of reference about him not wanting to be alone. Yeah. You know, and not wanting to die alone. And then he finds Gretchen and you just think, oh, you know, this is, this is the thing that's going to help heal whatever mental issues he's struggling with. Yeah. And then, yeah, to see her run over like that, it's just like, wow, just, it just breaks whatever you're hoping for. And, but it tears into this whole new possibility this trigger, this this catalyst for him to to come to the final conclusion of what he needs to do. It you know, it, it has to happen, unfortunately. But then the beautiful thing about it is that uh ultimately he sacrificed himself for her. Yeah. For her to live, which is a very noble yeah. act. It's a bit like the Ro- Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? You know? They can't both live. Yeah, the so. old Star Cross Lovers thing. But definitely, yeah, real clever film. Real good. Real good fun. Full of comedy. Full of mind-bending philosophy. Yeah, I really enjoyed it again. Glad glad we watched it, Naif. Yeah, mate. I am. Glad I suggested it. i glad I chose that. <laughs> that, was, that was my idea. <laughs> well, I think, personally, mate, it was a great choice. I haven't seen this film in years, and I really, really fucking enjoyed revisiting it. It was just brilliant. Naif, thanks ever so much for joining me. Trev, thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed it, as always. Yeah, next week is our odd film or bad film, but next week is an odd film, isn't it, Naif? You found it. (laughs) We're finally going to get to watch it. Brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, great. It's one that Naif found, and he read the synopsis, or he sent the synopsis to me, and it just, like, right we're doing that so we've sourced it we found it next week we'll watch it and discuss it um i'm so excited about that that's brilliant cool cool so thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all again soon see you later nathan see you later chase chase